Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. It's great to be here with such a, a, a great group of friends. So over the next couple of minutes, I will be talking about three different clinical settings, atrial fibrillation, stroke, and post-MI. Chris and Elaine has been talking about atrial fibrillation, uh, but I would like to summarize key aspects. We know that atrial fibrillation is associated with a five-fold increased risk of stroke. We know that patients who have a stroke uh, related to atrial fibrillation have uh, larger strokes, there are greater risk of mortality, and also greater risk of disability long-term. But we also know that uh, the risk is largely modifiable with an oral anticoagulation. We know that the guidelines recommend that for, page, for stroke prevention in patients with atrial fibrillation uh, who are eligible for anticoagulants, direct oral anticoagulants are the preferred options. It was uh, discussed before that there are different groups of patients in whom we don't have enough data, uh, and one of these groups are patients who have renal impairment. As Chris mentioned, we know from data from Aristotle and our other studies that as the renal function decreases, there is an increased risk of stroke, bleeding, and mortality. Chris also showed something similar to this. We know that the elimination of the direct oral anticoagulants is different, 80% renal for dabigatran and 25% renal for apexaban. We know, as Chris also mentioned, that we don't have data when the patients have creatinine clearance below 25, and we don't have the data on patients in dialysis. Um, Chris also alluded to this, and we know that patients who have uh, increased age, also have increased risk for stroke, but also have increased risk for bleeding. They are more frail and they have increased risk for falls or risk of falls. But we also know that these are the patients who receive less commonly you know, oral anticoagulants. So what are the unmet needs in patients with atrial fibrillation? As I said, you know, there's data lacking for patients who have creatinine clearance of 25 or lower. We know that patients who have increased risk of bleeding, elderly patients, patients with uh, falls or frail, uh, these are patients in whom there's an unmet need. There's also another group of patients, and these are patients who are required to receive antiplatelet therapy because maybe they have CAD associated with the atrial fibrillation. Then there's another group that, that we haven't discussed, and these are the patients that are considered unsuitable for uh, oral anticoagulation. And as uh, Elaine alluded, there's also this perceived risk of high risk for bleeding. And we know that of the patients who have atrial fibrillation, only less than 50% of them receive DOACs. And when we look at those patients, one out of four receive off-label doses of the DOACs. And we also know that when we look at long-term, at one year, the uh, persistence in oral anticoagulation is less than optimal. So what happened in patients with stroke? We know that according to the 2019 uh, statistics, the stroke prevalence is around 77 million people around the world. We know that stroke is the second leading cause of death globally and is associated with a high risk for disability worldwide. But we also know that in patients who have a stroke, there's a high risk for recurrent events early after the initial one. 
So what, what do the guidelines say in terms of treatment for non-cardiomolic stroke? Current guidelines recommend early initiation of antiplatelet therapy, short term, between 25 and 90 days, and the use of aspirin plus clopidogrel or ticagrelor depends on the risk for ischemic stroke or risk for TIA, and then the patient continues with single antiplatelet therapy. In terms of long-term secondary prevention, the recommendation is to continue single antiplatelet therapy, but in patients who have a history of CAD or PAD, there's uh, the uh, recommendation to consider low-dose rivaroxaban plus the antiplatelet therapy. So despite of the treatment with antiplatelet therapy, either single or dual, uh, there's an increased risk of, of events, and this slide summarizes you know, the residual risk of recurrent stroke in contemporary studies. As you could see, this slide shows four different trials using different antiplatelet therapies, and the risk of ischemic stroke at 90 days varies from 4.6 to 11.4 despite the treatment. When we look at long-term, we also see that when we look at follow-up of five years, this data from the TIA registry, there's increased risk for stroke and TIA, it's around eight to nine percent. So the question of recurrent risk of recurrent events uh, uh, led us to look at other options in terms of the decrease in this risk. Um, dual antiplatelet inhibition plus anticoagulant therapy was, also, was considered as a strategy to decrease the risk of stroke. And this is data from a subgroup analysis of the COMPASS trial, looking at patients who have prior stroke. This were around 1,000 patients in the three different arms. And the, the results of this analysis show that compared with aspirin alone, vivaroxaban plus aspirin was associated with a 58% uh, decreased in the risk of ischemic stroke. There was also a decrease in MACE, uh, cardiovascular death, stroke, and MI. However, there was an increased risk for bleeding, major bleeding in this patient population. It's important to mention that in this trial, you know, the uh, drug was not initiated early after stroke. So in another subgroup of strokes, these are ESOS patients, embolic stroke or undetermined source, you know, direct oral anticoagulant uh, anticoagulation have been tested. There was the Navigate trial that tested rivaroxaban versus aspirin, and the trial showed that rivaroxaban was not superior to aspirin to prevent uh, uh, recurrence of stroke, and it was associated with an increased risk of bleeding. The RESPECT ISUS that tested dabigatran versus aspirin also showed that dabigatran was not superior to aspirin. There was similar rates of major bleeding. However, dabigatran was associated with an increased risk of clinically relevant non-major bleeding. So what are the unmet needs in patients with non-cardiomolic stroke? You know, as I mentioned, you know, we see an increased risk of recurrent events early on and, you know, prolonged in term. We know from data from COMPASS that the addition of low-dose rivaroxaban decreased the risk of MACE but increased the risk for bleeding. And there's clearly a need for a secondary prevention medication that prevent events without an increased risk of bleeding. So now we're going to look at patient post-MI, and this is similar to what happened in patients with uh, non-cardiovascular stroke. We know that despite treatment, current treatment, medical treatment, and new uh, devices, 
there are high rates of events after a myocardial infarction. We know that half of the events occurred early on, within 90 days of the event. And we know that patients who present recurrent myocardial infarction, they have increased mortality. This is data that showed that the increased risk of recurring cardiovascular event after acute coronary syndrome. We know that approximately 12% of patients have a recurrent cardiovascular event at one year after a myocardial infarction. When we look at the timing of the events of this recurrent event, we know that half of them occur within 90 days. This, uh, the graph shows a meta-analysis of seven clinical trials looking at early or late recurrence of MACE, and as you could see, half of the events occur early on within 90 days. And in the uh, kaplan Mary curves data from Plato, as you could see also, that half of the events occur within 90 days. Similar data is shown here in this slide, looking at the Swedish registry data that included 97,000 patients these were all patients who have a myocardial infarction and were follow-up throughout the year, as you could see that almost half of the events occur early on. So in trying to understand or to better treat the patients in order to reduce the recurrent of cardiovascular events post-myocardial infarction, the addition of oral anticoagulation to antiplatelet therapy was, uh, was tested. Three different trials assessed this. Uh, Atlas ACS1, TIMI46, TIMI51, and COMPASS trial. We know from these trials that rivaroxaban was associated with reduced myocardial infarction. The mechanism, the hypothesis behind this is that we know that thrombin is elevated in, in acute coronary syndromes and persists elevated in particular in patients who have recurrent events. So, Ideally, if we target thrombin, we could reduce the events. And this is what it was seen when we look at the trials that use rivaroxaban. When we look at the pool analysis of the TME, uh, Atlas TME 46 and 51, we see that combined rivaroxaban doses was associated with a 46% decrease in the risk of myocardial infarction. When we look at data from COMPASS, there was a 14% reduction in the occurrence of MI when we look at rivaroxaban plus aspirin compared to aspirin, an 11% reduction in myocardial infarction when we look at rivaroxaban versus aspirin. However, there was an increased risk of bleeding. In the Atlas TIMI 46, there was a dose-dependent increase in clinically relevant bleeding that was two-fold for RIVA uh, 5 milligrams that increases to five-fold with RIVA 20 milligrams. In the Atlas TIMI 51, there was a four-fold increased risk of TIMI major bleeding with rivaroxaban versus placebo. And in the COMPASS trial, there was also an increased risk for major bleeding with the two uh, different arms of rivaroxaban. So as I explained, uh, there's an increased risk of recurrent event post-MI. Low-dose rivaroxaban was able to reduce through the thrombin generation, to the blockage of the thrombin generation to reduce cardiovascular events. However, there was an increased risk of bleeding. So there's again here a need for a better secondary prevention therapy that reduce event without the risk of bleeding. So in summary, in the three settings that I described, atrial fibrillation, non-cardiovascular stroke, and patient in the post-MI setting there's a need for a treatment that reduces cardiovascular events without increasing the risk of bleeding.
You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.